Hi, welcome to another edition of ProBlime. I'm your host, Reed Howey. We want to thank the generous folks down at the thrift shop for their annual grant that makes this and other programming uh, possible here on Grassroots. At ProBlime, we want to introduce you to candidates who are running for office in the city elections. And today, we have the pleasure of having Adam Frisch with us today, who wants to be the next mayor of Aspen. Good Welcome, Adam. Good morning, Reed. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Thanks for coming. And thanks for running for office. It's always, I'm always amazed by the willingness of people to step up and, and do that kind of public service. Yeah. No, I, I, I call it elected community service. Every time I heard, hear the word politician or politics, literally I get goosebumps and none in a good way. And maybe it's a little naive of me sometimes to think about it that way. Yeah. But um, I, I really, I think some part of my success, if you will, has definitely come from looking at a lens of elected community service and the continuation of. Why does it give you goosebumps and not in a good way? So when, um, it goes back, Reed, to when I think after being up there for a couple of years, people started asking me, like, so what are you surprised about uh, after serving a little bit? And I said, well, you know, I, I kind of walked in knowing the issues and some of the people involved. Um, and I'm a pretty quick read of, you know, kind of what's going on, pulse on the town. It's this um, lack of sincerity that is assumed by some people sometimes that uh, those of us who have been elected are up there making decisions based on some future vote capture or something. Uh, as opposed to trying to just doing what's right for the community. Um, and it especially uh, gets to me, uh, sometimes a little bit, I lose a little bit of control about it when the people start talking about, oh, you're just saying that because you're in a campaign mode. And, uh, you know, my view is that I'm up there for four years, not three and a half. And sometimes you have to make decisions, including hard ones, in spite of, not because of elections. Yeah. Um, and so, but overall, I mean, people are appreciative and understand that the work that we, we all do up there, it's it's not easy, but it's fun and rewarding. Um, and what's it, rewarding about it? Well, you know, I, I think it's, what's rewarding for me is is kind of seeing the, the, the community continue to chug along at a really, really high level of fun and excitement. We definitely have some problems. One of my big beliefs is when people are leading an organization, whether it's a family or a business or a government, you have to believe the best days are ahead of you, I think. Otherwise, it's really hard to lead in a successful manner. And the problem or the onus we have is that Aspen's been on a heck of a run for 80, 90 years. And how do you look people in the eye and say, with all sincerity, the best days are coming in Aspen? But I, I, I believe that. Um, and so, so you're not someone who sees, who harkens back to, oh, the 70s yeah. were great. Well, you know, I, I came here in 1977 with my dad for the first time. I was 10 years old. Uh, I grew up ski racing in Buck Hill, Minnesota, where the vertical uh, was 300 feet. And uh, it took 22 seconds to come down the hill, even as a 10-year-old. And so to come up here and see that those ski runs took longer, and it was really expensive at $16 a lift ticket, I believe. Um, I learned to ski in Wisconsin. Oh, did you? Yeah. So no, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of us Minnesotans out here, and my little 300-foot vertical put six Olympians um, on the U.S. ski team over the years. So it's, it was a humble place to grow up to ski race, and I went off to Colorado to ski race and at the university and everything. But um, so I think that it's just really pushing the community ahead, and, and not just talking about respecting the past, but really honoring it because there's a lot of great attributes that are fairly unique to Aspen. Uh, and the time and effort we put into our historic preservation, 
whether it's on the residential side or the commercial side, or just the vibe of what goes on at the Aspen Historical Society. Um, it, it's really, it's humbling to be living here, let alone helping lead the community forward on an even better path. Great, and so what do you do when you're not uh, on council now or mayor in the future? Um, so my wife, Katie, we've, we moved here in 2003 and um, recently married. And Felix was born 13 years ago, and Quintessa was born 11 years ago. And Katie works full-time uh, for her family's manufacturing business. She travels a week a month back to Syracuse. And so I'm not sure if it's called free time, but I am, uh, have turned into somewhat of a, I'm not sure I want to say stay-at-home dad, but a very full-time dad. Um, I'm making breakfasts and lunches and, and doing the school volunteer work along with Katie and running them around to... Quintessa's figure skating competitions and rehearsals, her ice, her ski racing, uh, budding ski racing career as an 11-year-old. Um, my son Felix is really focused on the arts, um, and so he's very involved in all the musical theater programs that happen, and he used to be in a choir with uh, um, Maroon uh, Belcanto that's run through the music festival, um, and he's an avid flute player uh, and plays in a couple different bands and orchestras, if you will. So... And I've kind of fallen into um, a little bit of an amateur photographer. So I, I, over the not just now, but over the past four or five years, I've taken pictures of the vast majority of ski racers and figure skaters and theater productions and musical productions and share them with the parents. So it's it's a hobby that doesn't require a lot of athleticism, but it still has a lot of toys, and that's kind of fun for me. So you're a gearhead. Yeah, yeah. and then a lot of times outdoors, of course, uh, hiking the bowl, um, Katie and I did the town series the first couple of years we moved here, ski racing. She grew up ski racing in high school and college as well. And uh, now we're kind of focused on going uphill. Um, as I tell people, there's 30 things to do in town and 28 of them go up. So at some point you got to figure out how to kind of move uphill at a fairly quick pace in this community. But um, mm. So I, I do that as well. So it's not all about uh, my elected community services, I yeah. would say. Well, we, we don't know each other, yeah. but, but your reputation is that you're like the money guy. So I, I always assumed that you had a business outside of, of council that was financial. So I used to. So I, I'm money guy, hopefully, just that uh, I have some financial acumen when it comes to trying to manage our $150 million our budget uh, and trying to be fiscally responsible with uh, a tremendous amount of money that uh, the community ends up generating every year. Yeah. But yeah, no, I spent 10 years, uh, I moved out to New York City after graduating from Boulder in 1990 with my best friend from Minnesota. He was chasing a girl, I figured I'd go help him out. And uh, I started waiting tables for a year in a couple of different restaurants and then I kind of stumbled into... Is, and that's back in New York? Yeah, back in New York City. I moved there in 1990. So I was there for about 10 or 11 years thinking I was gonna be there for a year. But I got into waiting tables and then I fell into um, some banking stuff. I worked on one of the very first socially responsible investing funds, which was really great. And then I got into um, currency trading. And uh, I was able to travel to about 30 countries and do business in another 30. And even working in Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and Ecuador, I think sometimes Aspen could be a harder place to, <laughs> uh, to do some business. Um, and then I got fired after September 11th and uh, loaded up my uh, old beat-up Saab and figured I would ski bum the winter of 0102. And I uh, met the proverbial gal, gal in Vail. And Katie and I hung out for a while. We got uh, engaged on a backcountry ski trip over in the Alps. 
And I said, listen, if we want to make, uh, build a community and raise a family, I think we should uh, think about moving to Aspen and try to plant our roots. So we showed up here in 2003 and um, done a little bit of startup businesses around here and, and elsewhere, and, and Katie's been more and more involved with her family business. Um, so we're fortunate to be living in town and working and playing and, and helping out. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's a, you know, there's a lot of great stories in town. I mean, I think, as I say, everyone moves to Aspen with a couple common denominators of looking for a small community and some type of outdoor activities. But after that, I think there's 5,000 reasons, literally, why people move here. And that what, that's what makes the texture of the community so great. It makes it a little hard to um, oversee a little bit and steer it. Right. But um, that diversity of why people move here sometimes gets underappreciated from, I think, some people in City Hall. And it's important to have a diversified view of why people move here and a humble view of why people move here. And so how do you, how do you keep that connection? Because you now are a public figure. Mm -hmm. So you walk down the street, I imagine you get a lot of questions. Uh, I mean, how do you, you can keep, call them questions, but yeah, yeah no, no. How do you keep that, that kind of, you mentioned humility and, and connection to the, to the community, the people yeah. that you're representing? So it is a small town. I think a lot of people know each other. And uh, uh, one of the upsides or downsides of being an elected official in town is your, your, um, your exposure is great. But to me, you know, I, I like it. And I think it's important to have a pulse on what's going on in the community. And, um, you know, I, I do think sometimes um, some elected officials um, move here and they have a great personal story and they try to kind of execute a further version of that personal story, not realizing that, that there's a really tremendous diversity in this community. And so we're not... I'm not sure what that means. Well, I mean, I, I think that there's an understanding that people that are raising families here have different trials and tribulations. People that move here um, fairly well off have different concerns. Um, people that move here to be ski bums and eventually stay or to say ski bums, or people that move here and they we have a, we have a great group of young people that are moving here that I say want careers, not just jobs. They want a professional career in kind of this quirky ski town. And so I think that the needs of the Aspen community is really diverse, um, and I have a pretty good pulse on that from just my daily life of seeing a lot of parents around, seeing friends who are single and have decided not to have kids, which is all great. Um, some people I've become friends with have lived here for a really long time, friends who live up in Red Mountain, people that live in Truscott and other affordable housing units. There's just kind of a whole hodgepodge of Aspenites going on. Yeah. And just through Katie and my daily life of living, we come across a lot of different touch points. And uh, not everyone wants to talk about what's going on, but I hear a lot and I ask a lot. And I think it's important to kind of have your pulse uh, on the full breadth of the community, not just uh, kind of a segment of, uh, of what people might be comfortable with or know. Yeah. You seem like someone who exposes themselves to challenges, you know, heading to New York and, yeah. and ski racing and all of that. So what, what challenge for uh, being mayor really excites you? So, Reed, thank you. I think that's a good question. I think the number one question facing Aspen is how does Aspen remain authentic in a less authentic world? And I think that is kind of how I'm s summarizing eight years of being actively involved and 15 years of living here and talking to a wide variety of people. And I think a lot of, while there's a lot of happy people and happy instances, we all have a little bit of concern or angst or frustration about kind of the world's changing, Aspen's changing. 
and how do we hold on to this? And I think this authenticity, because I view Aspen uh, as a real community and authentic. Um, you know, there's some other ski towns that also have 1885 Victorians, but they've also built some 1985 Victorians. And Aspen's, uh, to me, is a real community, and it has a lot of authenticity in it. And I think this focus on authenticity is really what's going to be driving my hopeful mayoral time up there. What is, where does that authenticity come from? Yeah, what, I, what is that? I think it comes from... Because we have our 1985 yeah. Victorians well, not 2005. Many of them, but yeah. Well, most of, I mean, you know, historic preservation, we put a lot of time, money, and effort into making sure that those res the residential areas and the downtown core uh, respect those, the history of some of those buildings that go back to remind their days. And while there are some 1985 Victorians, it's certainly not supported by our historic preservation. We yeah. try to make sure that people who want to add on to some type of historic building have something that respects the neighborhood and respects the original home, but also differentiates itself so it's not trying to be uh, kind of quasi or, or, or too cute Victorian. The affordable housing program, that about half of our residents in the community you live in, I think has added probably the most fundamental aspect of authenticity because we have a lights on community. And yeah, it's great that there's even fewer cars on the road than there could be because we have people living in town. But I think the authenticity of the community with the lights on and the diversity of people that are living here um, is a true, something that sets us apart from a lot of other great ski towns. Um, the authenticity of a long history of environmental policies that you know well, and making sure that we try to continue to stay ahead, not just in Aspen, but on a state, national, and international level. Um, I think those are really important. And the last thing I'd say about the authenticity of the town is the actual physical town of being downtown in the core. And that goes back to what I think most people talk about is a sense of place. And I'm a big believer that I hope that if someone gets kidnapped from anywhere they are in the world and they come to Aspen and they get blindfolded and they're dropped off on Millen, Maine, or wherever they are, that within a really quick uh, amount of time, they know that they are in Aspen, Colorado, between the mountains they see, the viewplanes that are protected, uh, the pedestrian human scale of our buildings. And when they look around and see the signs, yeah, there's some Pradas and Gucci's and things like that. But we also want to make sure that that sense of place incorporates seeing signage of local businesses that they don't see elsewhere. And that's been a struggle, without a doubt. I think we've done a really good job with this affordable housing component of the community. And there's a lot of talk about how do we make sure we have a diversified small business community. And um, that sense of place, I think, says a lot about kind of what people are hoping to see downtown. Yeah. So there's a lot about the built environment in there. Yeah. You know, how you manage that. Yeah. Which is a land use planning thing. Yeah. And then affordable housing, uh, building enough units, I suppose, to keep a spectrum of people yep. in the community. Exactly. Um, and then environmental leadership. You know, the, the, the one that is hardest to define for me is environmental leadership. You know, how, how does... Aspen, as a, if it thinks of itself as a standalone community, it's exporting a certain amount of its development pressures down valley and up and down yeah. on the highway. And, 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 but then if you bring everybody in or build parking, it goes this way. And how, do, how does Aspen lead in, 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 a, in an environmental 
role. Yeah. So let's how, talk how about. How are you going to do that, Adam? Uh, it's, it's simple, Reed. <laughs> Super simple. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we should talk about environmental, but I would love to have a chance to talk about affordable housing we'll and, and the built environment. So on the environmental aspect, I mean, by the time the decisions get brought to the council table, or as you know well, the Board of County Commissioners, when you used to work over there, you're left with basically competing community values and trying to figure out how to balance those. We want a really small downtown, yeah. um, but we want affordability. We love the idea of environmentalism, but that really requires from a built environment density. But we're not a really big fan of density uh, and heights. And we, um, you're looking at the traffic and transportation issues that, that face us um, and, and the emissions that are spewed out from there. Um, and the other problem that we face challenging us is that Aspen, as I say, you know, a lot of things in Aspen are AAA and everybody wants AAA plus, which is the challenging and the great thing about this community. And so we're the low-hanging fruit on affordable housing or the environment is mostly gone because of a lot of great work that's been done by the forebears that have came before myself and you and everything else like that. So we're left with like really, really, really lofty goals um, on a lot of aspects of the community. On the environment, um, the, at, at that level, you know, we're 100% renewable and that happened in the last couple of years. Uh, listen, it happened while I was on council. Does it mean city operations? The, the, yeah, the city operations. So there's two utility providers in, in yeah. Aspen, as we know it. You have Holy Cross, which is doing a great job. They just made some pretty bold goals themselves as a, as a co-op utility uh, about trying to produce um, a tremendous amount of energy from natural, from natural um, energy sources. And the city of Aspen, which is about providing about half the residents in town and businesses in town, is 100% renewable which is only a couple of cities in the country that are doing that. Um, and so while it's great that our council did that, put that in place in about 2015, without a doubt, it was done by a tremendous amount of hard work from staff and prior elected officials that have been continuing to champion this. And then, you know, part of environmentalism in the community is, 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 is that open space in the county, especially as well as the parks and open space in the community. And, you know, there's a discussion to be had about next time open space comes up for sale, should it be used for housing or should it be used for open space? And th these are the tricky situations that the community faces. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a delicate balance. Um, and uh, those are the things that the kind of we face. I mean, on a daily basis, I mean, we have a recycling program in Aspen, but uh, embarrassingly, I would say, we don't have great recycling levels compared to a lot of other communities. And, and some of that needs for the city of Aspen to step up more. There's great work being done at staff, but we can do some more stuff uh, on recycling and composting and sending messages as well um, to protect the environment and do what we can. But th this balance is a challenge. Yeah. What about housing? So when people ask me why did I get involved, um, uh, how's the affordable housing program, I think, is the fundamental aspect of the differentiator of Aspen and why, why people like it so much, whether you live here, visit here, have a second, third, fourth home. And um, it's been my number one focus for a long time. I ran in 2009 and for, for city council, didn't win, but I ended up getting on this, a small group of people that were part of this Housing Frontiers group. Why did you run in 2009? When I came here? Yeah. You've been here how how long at that point? Six years. Yeah. 
which I'm not, you know, maybe shorter than average for someone to kind of throw their hat in the ring, their ski hat in the ring and goggles and, and try to give it a try. Yeah. What I saw was um, some really great ideas, um, some really great visions, some really great goals, which have, those have been a history of the people that have served, tried to serve elected office. And I saw some stumbling blocks of not being able to see those community goals implemented because I saw that I think that there was a lot of focus on the goals and there wasn't a lot of focus on kind of the process and the sausage making of how you actually implement community goals through a legislative process. Um, and I think the, the four or five or six main goals that most people are going to talk about in this community um, have been steadfast for generations, environment, housing, built environment, small town character. And it's how to implement those. Um, and again, in a less authentic world over the years. And I thought that a balanced approach with understanding the community values as well as having a little bit of a background and maybe a better process-oriented situation could, could add some value to it. I also thought that watching um, the variety of elected officials up there, I didn't see a lot of people up there that actually had families, and it's a growing population of town. And while I certainly don't think we need to have you know, five family members up there serving and representing the city. Um, I think the family uh, constituent, if you will, population, not that they're not diverse in their own thoughts, has been vastly underrepresented. I think it's been 20 or 30 years since a mayor's actually been up there that had kids and kind of in the school system and everything. Um, so a combination of those two things have kind of, and I like to help out, and I've yeah. always been involved in, I love governance, I love leadership, um, not so much the uh, you know, the politics, if you will, about that type of stuff in the campaigning. But I really like to try to solve problems. And um, I thought I would give it a try. And um, But the loss of that campaign, um, and people saw that I was spending a lot of time talking about housing. Uh, I was asked to join this Housing Frontiers group that was set up a couple years before I got on to focus on kind of some of the strategic issues facing the housing program. So I got on that program, I got on that board for a little bit and then I ended up chairing it after about a year of being up there for about five more years. And we met for a couple of years weekly for 90 minutes. And, and that was a problem solving group outside of the housing authority. Yeah, the housing authority board at the time and they've done a phenomenal job uh, of focusing on what some of their better goals should be. But they got stuck focused on 100% of the time kind of on enforcement and, and being kind of the, the police force, if you will, of the, of the housing program. And um, not that the people didn't have the ability or desire to, to work on some of the more strategic plans, but that's kind of how the culture kind of fell into place. And, and now, the, I think the Option Board's doing a phenomenal job of, of focusing on kind of the core situations that are facing the community. So I got involved in housing because I think it is it's the seminal thing that goes on, and I've been working on it for a really long time, and I'm proud of the work on it right now. So what's the, what's the, the one thing we could do better to improve that? Uh, Three things. One, we need to build Berlin Game 3. We have it designed. We have it mostly entitled. And um, we can start pounding nails on that on a relatively quick basis. From the land use code, as it goes into the affordable housing program, we get some revenues from the real estate transfer tax, but we also get some revenues from the development community to pay their own way. And for some reason, there's a disconnect between the affordable housing program being a top goal, but the first thing that the land use code 
offers to discount away as affordable housing funds. Mm -hmm. And I need to own some of this responsibility because I've been up there for a while working on it. But that disconnect um, is not sitting well uh, with a lot of people, and rightly so. So I want to focus on that. And then we have uh, what I think most people realize is a capital reserve problem, which goes back to, you know, when you talk to the originators of the housing program in the 70s, they didn't think they were going to get old, <laughs> and they didn't think the buildings were going to get old. And we have some incentives in place that um, challenge the longevity of the housing structures. And people are acting rationally, they're acting rationally by not continuing to put a tremendous amount of money into a housing product that they know they're capped out on, on the sale price, and that they can sell in, in, in five seconds. And so the last thing I want to do is, is have um, incentives in place that are counterproductive to people's personal lives of living in the unit, as well as the viability of those housing structures lasting as long as possible. So capital reserves building, building Burlingame 3 and tackling our mitigation disconnects with our values are the kind of my one thing in three parts yeah. that I want to work on about housing. I love it how the number guy turns one into three. Yeah, that's, that's how we, kind of it's adding value. I yeah. add value, Reed. <laughs> um, we have about three minutes left. Oh, and, and, quick. Uh, I, I get, uh, how come no one seems to ever talk about, uh, the, the, the solution seems to be building our way out of it rather than shrinking it? Yeah. You know, how does, do, as mayor or on council, do, is there a conversation about how do we make the economy of, of Aspen fit the physical plant rather than the physical plant fit the economy? Well, you I mean, know, that's a, these old sort of commie ideas from the 70s of, yeah, we don't really want to grow. Well, you know, Aspen's been on an economic run with some bumps along the road for a really long time. I mean, we have $150 million of, of or $120 or $150 million of revenue for 7,000 people, although we need to provide services, and we generate that revenue from 20 to 30,000 people, yeah. as you see in July and, and December and everything else like that. Um, you know, and, and, and John Bennett made an interesting comment, the former mayor, uh, when we were talking about making some chain store regulations, and it was like, you know, Aspen did not get here by accident. And that's one of the top three things that have stuck in my head since I've been up there for eight years, which means that Aspen, part of Aspen's success, not all of it, is from kind of tinkering with what most people would say should just be kind of let the free market figure out right. how to solve everything. And sometimes Aspen gets it wrong. Um, sometimes Aspen's got it wrong on my watch, and I take responsibility for that. But hopefully we don't make the same mistakes twice. But you, we can't build our way out of the housing program. If we were to build, we have about 3,000 affordable housing units now. If we were to build 10,000, I don't know where, but let's just say we build 10,000, there'd be 30,000 people that'd want to live here. There's right. an unsatiable appetite to visit, to live, to play. Um, but, you know, you don't solve the housing problem like you don't solve poverty. Um, right. You try to make it better every year and try to figure out and chip away at the program of making sure that we have a lights on community and then we have a workforce that can support kind of a high, a high quality guest experience and a very high quality livability experience for us locals who live here. We have to wrap it up. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, Reed. Appreciate your time. Okay, we really appreciate it. it was good. And thank you for joining us for another episode of ProBlind.